Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Barton Simmons there. Chip Patterson right here. Uh, it is Tuesday afternoon. We have uh, all kinds of uh, news to give to you, news to break down, as well as an early signing period primer. That's right. Uh, we had it here on this podcast last season. We were all over it. We told you it was going to be big. We told you that a lot of the stars are going to be going uh, here in December, and that is now uh, man, just eight days away. So we welcome in uh, Barton Simmons. Barton, uh, how 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 is your your Heisman experience? Were you were you locked in? Were you dialed in? Do you pregame and do you have uh, do you have a lot going on for your for your Heisman watch party? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, this was the first Saturday of since what late August uh, that I haven't felt totally obligated to be sitting in front of my TV. Yeah. And so I was at a uh, Christmas party of sorts, dinner um, type of deal, and was was checking my phone to see who won. Kyler Murray won. Got it. All right. You know, throw that out to the table. Hey guys, Kyler Murray won the the Heisman and then and then move on. So no, I was I wasn't that that glued to it. And I was a little bit um, I don't. I don't even know that there was a total, whole lot of suspense for me. Like, there wasn't. I felt like I, I had a pretty good idea that the Kyler had 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 pulled away with the last weekend of, uh, of, of of championship games. Do you look at it more as Tua lost it or that Kyler surpassed him? I do. I mean, if I if I had to pick one, I think I'd go Tua lost it. Ah oh, man. But I think. But I think both. I think it's it's a. Uh, he would not have lost. He would. Had Tua had a bad game, and Kyler had not had a great game. Like, I, I still think. I mean, Kyler certainly deserves credit for winning this thing and going out and taking it. Um, but I, I think the, the difference to me, and I suspect the difference to most voters, is that Kyler didn't have a bad game. He didn't have a bad game all year long, and Tua had one, and that is the difference. I mean, Tua still <laughs> the bad game Tua had. They still won. Like it will, uh, and I mean, I'm, I mean, I've been also making this argument. Even Dwayne Haskins might have beaten Derrick Henry for the Heisman Trophy if he had had that season in that year. We just had three worthy Heisman Trophy winners. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, this was a rough year to be really, 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 really good. <laughs> what? A bad, a, we are so spoiled. We just had. You're missing, you're missing one or two reallys there. <laughs> 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 Uh, uh, so, so yeah, it was a, it was a rough year for like for Dwayne Haskins to be up there and like wasn't even like ESPN wasn't even acknowledging and in, in the run up like the, he wasn't even being included in a lot of the graphics, right? <laughs> you know, um, that's so, so was, funny to think about. An just interesting th- experience there for him. Who, whoever's making those graphics, if if you're listening to this podcast, you do hold a lot more responsibility than you realize. Because the conversation was not taking Dwayne Haskins seriously. And when you go back and you look, I mean, even the Heisman voters, the difference from number two to number three was pretty drastic. I was I was very surprised. I felt like it was a little bit of recency bias, but you make a great point. Tua had one and maybe one and a half bad games. I'll also say the Auburn Iron Bowl, I didn't think he was great. Um, 
and then Kyler did not. So uh, I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that as a, a good a good explanation of what happened uh, with that Heisman Trophy race. The uh, he Kyler Murray was the quarterback on our CBS Sports All America team. That All America team was released today on Tuesday. Barton and I have ballots. Barton, as you uh, as you look at the list, we had Daryl Henderson and Jonathan Taylor as our running backs. Uh, Marquise Brown, Jerry Judy as our wide receivers. Jay Sternberger uh, from Texas A and M. Michael Jordan, Jonah Williams, Andrew Thomas, um, Bo Ben Schwab. Wait, who is it? Ben Shaw, right? <laughs> you can have it, bro. Let's see how that one. Uh, Dalton <laughs> Dalton Risner, Quinnen Williams, Cleland Farrell, uh, defensive side of the ball. Quinnen Williams from Alabama, Cleland Farrell, Jerry Tillery, Ed Oliver, Josh Allen, Devin White, Devin Bush are our linebackers. We got DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams, Grant Delpit, and Deontay Thompson as our safeties, or as our cornerbacks and safeties. Barton, when you were filling out your list, do anything stand out in particular that was a a tough decision where you found yourself uh, really bouncing between a couple different options? Or I'll also give you this one: Is there anything from the final team, the consensus of all of our ballots, that stands out different to what you you had on yours? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have any major issues with the with the team that was produced from our ballots. Uh, I will say my my wide receiver one on my ballot was Andy Isabella from UMass. I think by the end of the year, what he had accomplished, putting the stamp on it against Georgia. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I, I think he was impressive, and I and I, I also. I think it was a little bit – while all three of the first-team linebackers are really, really good, it's, man, it's hard for me to not see Chase Hansen on the first-team linebackers. But I don't have any real beef with the list. Do you have any anything really jump out to you? I had uh, Chase Hansen on my first team. Well, yeah, we only oh, filled but, out a first team. But uh, I guess I had Devin Bush off. I think I did have Devin White. I definitely had Josh Allen. I, I thought defensive line was ridiculous. There's so many good defensive linemen this year. It was, and we and we didn't do tackles and ends. We just did def- straight up defensive line. And you know, you had uh, in the same way that we were talking about the Heisman Trophy. I feel like for the de- the defensive line, there were like nine first team All Americans this year, and it was yeah. it was really tough. I mean, I had Christian Wilkins on mine, right? I mean, I, I guess you know, Cleveland Farrell ends up putting up some some different numbers, but man, when you just watch the tape of Christian Wilkins doing work. It's different. Um, you know, you also had, you know, a, a number, like a number of different defensive linemen. Like it was, I think I had, did you have Montez Sweat or Jeffrey Simmons? Because I think I might have put them both on there. I had Sweat as my number two defensive lineman, Simmons as my number five defensive lineman. So I had them both on there. Yeah. Uh, and, I, like, and I didn't even have, the only Clemson player I had on my entire ballot was Travis Etienne, and I fully acknowledge that there probably could have been a bunch more Clemson guys, but it, it's almost like they just they kind of cancel each other out. I didn't know which one to put. Right. I couldn't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't decide between them. So, um, so yeah. I mean, this this was a this was a defensive line in particular probably was a tough spot, and and, and you know across the board this was. There were certainly plenty of good options at a lot of positions this year. Um, and uh, one final note, shout out to a friend of the podcast, guest of the show, and just um, 
an incredible ball of positive energy and football knowledge. I, I leaned on the Joe Moore Award a lot for my offensive lineman selecting. I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to try to think. Make myself think that I'm smarter than the Joe Moore Award voting committee, which did have a bunch of breakdowns and a bunch of quotes and did a good job of identifying not only who the best offensive line teams were, but who are some of the stars on those offensive lines. So as always, much love to the Joe, Joe Moore Award. Yeah. At, at some point, you got to trust the experts. Right. You know? <laughs> like, it's not but, me. But, I know for certain I do not know the intricacies of playing right guard better than they do. At some point, you know, when when a scientist tells you something, you just you 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 you, you log it in. You don't have to go and prove the theorem yourself. Uh, you just listen to the scientist, and they're the, they're the O line scientists. So yes, I agree. If you're not listening to those guys, and if you think that you know just based on watching, you know, sitting on your couch and watching the CBS game, uh, then then I, I you know I. I I beg to differ with you, bro. Yeah, and and often uh, I would I would guess that um, the the arguments are just mostly for your favorite player, and your school has told you that right. your favorite player deserved what it didn't get. And you might, yeah, and you might you might in fact watch enough O line of the team you watch every weekend to have a pretty good feel on who the best players on that team are and how good they in fact are from a national perspective. But you don't have the the context of everybody else, so it's good to it's good to get those. Uh, I value those guys, those O line gurus, to help me out with that. The uh, all right, so let's let's go. We've got some some coaching news to catch up on since we were last with you. We will be having a full you know like coaching grade breakdown a little bit later on once we get into the off season and once we get some time back into the lab. We'll probably be getting you some some coaching press conference clips. I don't I don't know if we've had any any really great ones. Mac had a, Mac has probably had the best performance so far, right? Yeah, I, I I full I will have full grades and analysis on press conferences. I have I'm I'm beginning to become borderline obsessed with introductory press conferences. I love them. I love watching them. And but I do agree this has been a less entertaining year of press conferences than last year, which was just I mean, just fen- a phenomenal I mean, great. press conferences last year. Uh, we're getting we're getting a lot of of guys that have went gone to the same uh, same PR school this year and and have have some some of the same coaching cliche philosophical uh, expressions. Uh, so we'll we'll find we'll find some winners and losers for you though. My coaching philosophy: well, it's to protect the ball and it's to win the kicking game. Because if you're good in the kicking game and you don't turn the ball over, you're going to win a lot of games. That's about all we Us got. Us not I. Us not I is a big one this, this year. Us not I. It's about, it's about we. It's not. It's about we. It's about us. It's not about me and I. It's about we. <laughs> <laughs> T-E-A-M. Together, everybody achieves more. Team. Um, all right. <laughs> so we got Georgia Tech. Jeff Collins coming from Temple. This is, uh, I think... We've seen Temple in the American Athletic in, in the brief American Athletic Conference era. I would say that Temple's success, which obviously was very, you know very high under Matt Rule, and Jeff Collins was able to to make that team a player in that conference title race this year. Uh, you know what what sort of jumps out at you at a, about that fit? Collins at a job 
unique with uh, some of the recruiting, you know, in terms of what you have to do to get the kids that are going to be able uh, to make it into the school, but also the right fit and everything else. There's a lot that goes into this. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. What do we think about Jeff Collins to Georgia Tech? Because for a long time, we thought this could be Ken Wisenhunt, and now we're we're sort of driving this boat in a very different direction. Oh, thank goodness it's not Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, No offense to Ken Wisenhunt, but I I don't want to see him at Georgia Tech because I think Georgia Tech has real potential, and a lot of other people do too. But what has Georgia Tech been for, it feels like forever. I guess Paul Johnson has not been the coach of Georgia Tech forever. I'll have to check Wikipedia on that. But it feels like he has been the head coach of Georgia Tech forever. And 11 seasons, for what it's worth. <laughs> okay, so 11 seasons of ever. And he is not, while he is a great coach, he is not the cool coach. He is not going to make you the cool program. Georgia Tech has not been the cool program in that period of time, and it feels like forever. They've been wearing Russell Athletic jerseys. Right. Uh, they run the triple option. They don't promote. They don't recruit. They don't even – Paul Johnson, I'm not sure – Care. I don't think he cares at all about recruiting. I just think he says, hey, guys, find me 85 players – and I'll, I'll I'll be there on, on practice. Well, when we get the, you know, when we get our stations chugging along, like what? what Paul Johnson, the, yeah, Paul Johnson didn't even ask for scouting reports because he wanted to draw his own conclusions based on training camp. Right. <laughs> right. So, so, and, and yet here you are, a Georgia Tech program, in probably very possibly the single best metropolitan area for football talent in the country. Sure. Um, you could make that, look, you, you certainly you can make an argument for other areas. But you could make a strong argument, and I, I perhaps would. I mean, I, I, don't, I'm, I think I actually believe this, that Atlanta is, if you are looking for talent, you can find everything there. You can find quarterbacks, you can find skill players, you can find linemen, you can find defensive linemen. <laughs> You can find big jumbo athletes. It's all there. And there's enough talent there while there's also a really good football culture, very good coaching. So while so you get players that are prepared, ready, not maxed out, but also very talented. So it's just sort of this, this nice mix. And here you are, Georgia Tech's right in the heart of it. Yes, strong academics, whatever. This is a program that if someone embraces – the idea of making it a, a, a cool place, making it a place that kids want to go, uh, it could there, there, there really could be – you could kind of blow the ceiling off it a little bit. And if, 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 if there's nothing else that we know about Jeff Collins, if there's nothing else that we would attribute to Jeff Collins, it is that he will be a guy that will absolutely embrace a, a – Try, like trying to make this a culture that is attractive and cool. And it might even be gimmicky at times. And it might even be a little bit annoying to people outside the Georgia Tech fan base or world. But he is going to activate Atlanta, or at least he's going to really make a strong effort to do that. And so I, because of that, I'm really excited about this hire for Georgia Tech. And we'll see what the staff looks like as it gets built out. 
Uh, we'll see what the offense looks like. I mean, it's going to move away from the tri- for, from the triple option. But defensively, I would think long-term they will be in good shape. Jeff Collins is a good defensive coach. Uh, and I just I, – I think it's it's – it's the right hire and because it it prioritizes to me the most important thing about this Georgia Tech hire, which is getting you know, channeling a, a really talent rich area in a in an aggressive way. And I think Jeff Collins is gonna do that. Jeff Collins has been in his time as an assistant recruiting his ass off through the southeast. Right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I just, yeah, like, I, I totally see him. Uh, it's like one of these options was yet another retread. I mean, and, you know, before even Paul Johnson, we were we were at Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey was not a uh, was not exactly the definition of cool. I think you're really onto something here because I, Jeff <laughs> Jeff Collins is going to have uh, some kind of trademark or some kind of campaign or some kind of saying that is going to be like as. Like, you know what he's going to be? He's about to be Pat Narduzzi. The ACC Coastal has gotten really defensive here in the last couple of years. He, he will be a much more positive version of Pat Narduzzi. Yes, okay, more positive. But you know how, like, you know, like, Pat always, like, finishes every sentence with hail to pit? Like, he, he's, he's saying, yeah. hey, yeah, will you pass the mashed potatoes, hail to pit? Uh, and things like that. Yeah. He, he feels like he could also be a little bit of a uh, of a more – of a less robotic version of of uh, PJ Flack too. Mm. Like, uh, I, I, here's what I and and I'll give you a spoiler alert on our press conference pod. I, he's he was one of my favorites. I think he's he is he feels the the energy feels real, the positivity feels real, the uh, he feels authentic, uh, and w- without. While and, and authentic in the sense that look, this is we're we're going to shove this down your throat. Like we're going to be a a program that you can't get away from, and 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 there's a reason for that. You know, we we, we have to be. And so uh, I I just think that he is. Um, and look, and Temple wasn't Temple was good under Jeff Collins, but it was but Temple wasn't. I mean, they weren't UCF. They weren't even Memphis. They you know they were just good. Um, and, and yet again, when you look at sort of what, what really is the most, what Georgia Tech really needed in this hire, I think it's, he is what they needed. He is, he is the profile they needed. Man. Good job. Athletic director, Todd Stansberry, because wasn't there also the connection that he and Wisenhunt were at Georgia Tech at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, oh, like who, man. and I, and I think. Wizenhunt supposedly got an interview, but so many of these things, and I, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, Schefter so many, said that. If Schefter is saying that Wizenhunt interviewed with Georgia Tech, I'm gonna believe that Wizenhunt. It, it might have been a phone call. It might have been meeting in Atlanta. No, might have been meeting at a Marriott somewhere. But, but I, I but believe there point, was an interview. My point is, you don't know whether that was a real interview or whether that was like, "Hey, uh, Ken, buddy, look, I know, I know, you kind of need to get some juice and you kind of want a college gig, and so." Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's, let's, let's have a few beers, knock out an interview and I'll leak it to the press to say, I interviewed you. Oh no, no, no. Or, or Wizenhunt was really excited to tell everybody he was about to be a head coach. (laughs) Right. But it could have just been like a couple guys, like a, a, an old friend doing a favor to a buddy and saying, I'll give you, I'll try to give you a little juice for the college game, but, but I'm never, I'm not going to hire you, man. I mean, the fact that he hired Jeff Collins tells me that he understood 
what was needed in this job. And that and Ken Ken Wisenhut would have been the polar opposite of Jeff Collins. Oh baby, so I, you thought we were dating? Oh no, that was just a that was just a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I I'm convinced that that was a uh, uh, you know Ken Wisenhut got a got a favor and 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 they went ahead and just. Good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. All right. So, what do you, what do you get about the madness at uh, at Kansas State, where we have um, a, a hire that, as we were saying before the show, it's like, yeah, th- everyone seems to believe that it makes sense in terms of getting Kansas State to a place where it can both continue in the the same sort of model of success of Bill Snyder, but at the same time, you're obviously going much more youthful and with a proven winner. What's your you know what? Why do you think that the Kansas State reaction is so mixed right now? I feel like mixed is is a this is a generous term. Uh, like there's there was posts on our K State message board, which does a fantastic job, by the way. Um, but there was posts on our GoPowerCat.com message board saying like if it's before the hire, saying if it's uh, climbing. Uh, are you going to have a AD hot board for us? Like they, they were preemptively didn't want this hire. Uh, now that the hire is hit, it has been overwhelmingly praised by national media and overwhelmingly rejected by K state fans, which is just baffling to me. Like it makes me wonder if K state fans, like, are they, is, are they like in an identity crisis do they not know who they are? And, and 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 by the way, not saying it that in the sense that oh, K State can't do any better than an FCS coach. I'm saying in the sense of are does K K State do you not appreciate the culture of like blue collar toughness, um, uh, hard nosed football that has been built under Bill Snyder that can be built upon and can be the foundation of Chris Kleiman taking over at North Dakota from North Dakota State, a guy that has won, done nothing but win as a head football coach and has won at a program that doesn't have talent and has been resourceful in finding and developing talent, which is exactly the trait and the skill you have to have in, in, in Manhattan, Kansas. Do you really think the best bet is to go hire an air raid guy and try to run by and past the rest of the Big 12 that's running the air raid. Like I just don't understand where Kansas State fans get off being disappointed in this hire. This is so they this, talked this themselves the, into Seth Luttrell. Is that what you? Is that basically what you were referencing there? I mean, I, it, uh, that feels like a big part of it. Yeah, like uh, they, there, there are only reports to, uh, about the connection between Seth Luttrell and this job reports that have included, uh, negotiations that broke down, whether those reports are true or not. I think that Kansas state fans have at least acted like it's true. And this feels like a stylistic, um, a, a stylistic zag to that Seth Luttrell zig. Right. And, and, and I, and who knows, who knows what was legit on that Seth Luttrell reporting? You know, I guess the there was Barton there was is out Seth on Seth Lutt- Barton is out on coaching search reporting. He is not in well, here no. for reports of meetings. <laughs> well, no, no. I, what I'm saying is 
the the reports on the Seth Luttrell stuff were that he didn't, uh, you know, he wanted to, to to bring in his his whole staff. Kansas State wanted him to keep some of his, you know, some of the current staff. Uh, there was rumblings that Bill Snyder was still, you know, ha- meddling with the search, and Seth Luttrell got turned off. Maybe that's all true. I'm just saying you don't ever know, and 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 maybe maybe in fact. Uh, Chris Kleiman was always their their first choice. I, I don't know, I, but but I just think regardless, I think he's the best choice. I really think this is a great choice. And 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 people that think oh you can't make that jump seamlessly from FCS to FBS, I mean, it it, it, has, it happens all the time. It's ha- it happens regularly. Um, I mean, uh, Jim Trestle made that jump uh, to Ohio State. And was wildly successful. Specifically, a very similar jump. Um, Lance Leopold, who who won 109 of his first 115 games. I mean the whole the whole Grand Valley school. State pipeline. Yeah, I mean the the whole Mountain Union pipeline that's out there. Um, and if you can coach, you can coach. And and this is a guy. And 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 I would argue. That a guy that has won in FCS at a program like North Dakota State, with kind of with the kind of geographical constraints that it has, if if he can do have that kind of success, it translates much more effectively than a guy that's that's just won in another division that doesn't that doesn't isn't familiar with winning in a unique geographical environment like like Manhattan, Kansas is. Uh, I just it, it's it's bewildering to me that people are upset with this hire. The if it's not for uh, I do not stand for the complaints that have to do with the the jump up in a level. I I I think that for all the reasons you just mentioned and many more, uh, that is that is a very thin and hollow argument. If stylistically, as a fan, you wanted something different, I understand how this feels uh, like you. You really talked yourself into the idea that yes, watching you watch the rest of that league, you watch every other Big Twelve team be doing something that it feels like your offense is choosing willingly not to do. I can understand why you would want to at least try to give it a run. Okay, that's fair. I mean, that's 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 fair to like I, every what I remember. When I was a Kansas State's um, been pretty woeful offensively since uh, Colin Klein. Colin Klein, they get to like the Fiesta Bowl, I think. You know, they they had a good year, Big Twelve Championship or Co Big Twelve Championship. Since then, offensively, it's been a little bit of a struggle bus. So, uh, can I'm going to have an admission here. I, I I've done a pretty good job of keeping any. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure that anyone would associate me with any bias towards any one program, any fandom. Because I really don't have any fandom. I'm not a. I, I wasn't. I didn't grow up a college football fan, but I did have a fandom of Kentucky basketball. All right. So I am a. So I'm. I'm out. I'm out of the closet. I'm a Kentucky basketball fan. At least I was. No, 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 no. You get stuck. We, we're gonna. We're gonna rock with this. I need this. So, this is good for me. So, all right. And when Kentucky basketball hired Billy Gillespie, back in the day. And because I was, I grew up in the days of Rick Pitino. I went right. to Kentucky basketball camp every year. Um, you know, uh, 
Billy Donovan was my guy. I, you know, and so I was into press, pace, and it was awesome. And when Kentucky basketball hired Billy Donovan, whatever, he was the hot name at Texas A&M at the time, but he played just a disgusting, trash, ugly, win-ugly style of basketball. And I thought I didn't like the hire. I didn't like the hire. I thought it was. I thought the hire would would be. It would be. It wouldn't be fun to watch. And and the hire was terrible for a lot of reasons. But the the one fun to watch part was true also. And even when Kentucky was good under Tubby Smith, they weren't as fun to they watch. They were not fun. As when, no, you know? they were not. Yes, one hundred percent. So I can so I can understand a fan base being like, you know what? I don't care if we're going to win eight games every year. I'm just sort of tired of watching this ugly, gross football. Yes. That is, I think that, that is, a, that's, I'll stay, I'll listen to that argument. Yes. I will listen. I will, I will listen to that argument too, because I, I think even like if I'm a Texas tech fan, you know what? We've been five and seven the last three years or whatever. They've been under Cliff Kingsbury, sort of this perennial, you know, average team, but you've had some fun, you've had some fun afternoons. Texas <laughs> yes. Tech football. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So I, can actually kind of I, I can rock with that um so I, I that's a fair point that i would entertain um, but the other side of it I'm, I'm i'm you can get shut out on me on the uh the assistant coaching carousel has been popping uh alabama we are going to be bringing it we're going to be promoting dan enos does it matter who's the offensive coordinator at alabama congratulations dan enos on your head coaching job <laughs> next year <laughs> i mean yeah, like what a what a phenomenal opportunity for Danny knows. Like what a <laughs> this is this whole this them deal is is just un like what an operation. Nick Saban has this thing cooking to the degree that like he just goes like he just got Mike Loxley hired his dream job. Mike Loxley is at his dream job, and the last time we saw him as a head coach. He was winning two games in three years, punching an assistant, and having like a sexual harassment complaint filed against his office. Or I, I, I can't remember if it was against him, but it, there was there was a there was a complaint in the mix there by by an by an administrative assistant. All right, and now he goes as an off field guy to Alabama, gets promoted one year as the offensive coordinator, has the best personnel in all of college football gets the Broyles award and gets his dream job. And I'm not even arguing against any of it because I, I think Mike Loxley might be a great fit at, at Maryland and he might kill it at Maryland. I know he's going to recruit the hell out of it, right? But it's just amazing what the, what the rehab facility in Tuscaloosa can do to a guy's image. And now Dan Enos, who is, who, you know, like I, I don't know whether to blame Arkansas on Dan Enos, on Brett Bielema, mm. on their recruiting, but that thing got a little sideways in terms of what they wanted to be offensively and what they became. And it wasn't perfect by the end of the t- his tenure there. I think Dan Enos is respected. I think he's a good coach. But congratulations on your head coaching job next year, Dan, because you are about to put together the best offense we've ever seen next year when the best offense we've ever seen this year is all back all returns <laughs> right <laughs> oh oh you mean that first team all-american jerry judy who's back you mean <laughs> Najee harris devonta smith 
Yeah, Henry Ruggs. Yeah, they're all back. Um, it's amazing. And Butch Jones and his—he didn't even have to get a head job. He—he he was an intern for a year, and now he's a—he is getting hired as a looks like a, a associate head coach with Loxley of Maryland. Oh my amazing. goodness, that is such a great hire. It's amazing. <sighs> and and I mean it's it's all it's just it's and it's all about the Jimmys and Joes. It's just that Nick Saban has he's hit a critical mass where they they can recruit so many good players and they have so many good players on their roster and the recruiting machine is chugging along at such an efficient pace that they're going to keep on bringing in number one recruiting classes and number one recruiting classes make make good coaches great coaches. And he's hiring good coaches. Like, do you think the do you think the system that he has put in place is so strong that it will outlast his tenure as the Alabama head coach? I really don't know. That's a fascinating question. I mean, I think there's a there will certainly be it, it can coast it can coast for uh, a couple years and and just keep on running off the fumes of the Saban tenure. Um, but I would imagine in a similar way to Ryan Day taking over at Ohio State. There's probably some infrastructure in place. That's what I was thinking. That affords you the opportunity to really be successful. Like it's not. I don't know that it's just the old, the old like don't follow the legend. Like, yeah, it's tough to follow the legend because the the, the bar is so high. But before you get fired, like whoever follows Nick Saban, will ultimately probably not live up to the standards Nick Saban has set. And they may ultimately get fired because they didn't live up to the standards Nick Saban set, but they'll they'll probably win a couple national championships. <laughs> right, right, right. I was about to I was about to say <laughs> counter argument is Les Miles. Nick Saban set LSU up in a way that Les Miles was able to come in, be very successful, including winning a national championship. I think whatever. Like if someone was to give me an over under of point five, I will take the over and believe that whoever follows Nick Saban will win a national championship. Yeah, yeah. If you look, yeah, don't give me the I don't want to follow Nick Saban because I don't want to follow the legend. Just go ahead and follow him. You'll get six years, five at, 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 at worst, and you'll win at least one national championship in there. You'll probably get fired because you're not going to be able to win as many Nick Saban won. But before you do, you'll get a really pretty ring and you'll get a nice car dealership in, uh, you know, in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'll, I'll be good. Um, and let's see. So that, that would, uh, it'd be like, Hey, isn't his name Scott Cochran, the strength coach there? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I would do. That's the negotiation is, is a uh, Scott sticking around. Yeah. I'm good. Right. I'm, I'm him. Right. I'm him. Right. <laughs> because you're right. We'll probably get fired after six or seven years, but we are going to be so nasty and the national championship or national championships. I win. will get me jobs for the rest of my life. Yeah, I mean, what was it like? Uh, I mean, Larry. Co- I mean, it's, it's the Larry Coker method. I mean, Larry Coker doesn't doesn't regret taking over at Miami. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, he is he he is the head coach of one of the greatest teams of all time, and uh, I think he'll live with that. Uh, all right, so let's. Uh, so we got Auburn. I mean, Alabama pro- promoting Daninos at Auburn. We've got uh, Kenny Dillingham. He was the offensive coordinator at Memphis. Uh, a loss for Memphis here, or are we just believing that Norvell's the guy through and through, and in the same way, just working with him will probably you will probably be fielding offenses that can get you looks at another job. 
Well, so let's see which which side we should go with this first. First of all, oh, there's the Auburn side. We can look at it from the Auburn side too, or the Gus Malzahn. Let, let's, let's look at let, let's look at it from the Memphis side first. All right, let's give credit to Mike Norvell, who is shockingly not been hired yet. Um, who I've you know I've got a lot of respect for, and I've I've preached that on this pod before. Sure. But think think about what he's what 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 Mike Norvell now has produced. <laughs> he this this cycle alone, his defensive coordinator Chris Ball got a, a head coaching job, I think, in northern Arizona. Um, his offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, just got an offensive coordinator job at Auburn. His offensive coordinator last year is the current offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, uh, or was this year. His wide receivers coach last year is the wide receivers coach at Tennessee. His linebackers coach last year was hired as a linebackers coach this year at Jeez. Georgia. His uh, his I think like a co-offensive coordinator. No, what? What? Anyways, what? Tulane picked off another one of his guys this year. This year. Wow. I mean, just a. I mean, and and it's look. It's I think it's two things. It's one, they're really good. They're winning a lot of games. Um, but two, I think he's hiring well, developing well, and and they haven't gotten the call up to the next to the next spot. So it's it's just fascinating that uh, that Mike Norvell's been just such a uh, a breeding ground for elite or for you know for programs to pick off coaches. That said, like what a mess this offensive coordinator search was for Auburn. Uh, they wanted first of all, Brandon Marcello reported that they negotiated a reduced buyout in order for for Gus Malzahn to stick around, right? We talked about that, I think. Yes. And as part of that negotiation, uh, they they negotiated that any assistant coach hires would have to be revenue neutral. So they can't they basically can't go pay uh, an offensive coordinator one point five million dollars or or something like that. And so what like it, it can't co- like you're you're going to a place where the coach is, is so so far on the hot seat that he has to reduce his buyout even to stay, and you are not even allowed to be like the reason that uh, McGriff went to Ole Miss a couple years ago, the defensive coordinator, and the reason they paid him one point five million dollars is because they couldn't get anybody else because of all that the mess that was going on with the the off the field uh, Hugh Freeze and, and Hugh Free Hugh Free stuff. So I mean Hugh Free. Gus Malzahn sort of in the same spot. So he, he made a run at Hugh Freeze. He made a run at, I don't know, there were a bunch of names that were floating around. And the fact that they landed on Kenny Dillingham, who was a 24-7 sports, 30 under 30 guy, a, a, a young, really good up-and-coming coach. But ultimately, he doesn't call the plays at Memphis. I mean, that's Mike Norvell's shop. So they're getting a guy that's an office coordinator by title, but really isn't truly an office coordinator. And... Gus Malzahn is retaking the play calling duty. So they're like, I'm hi- we're going to hire Killian Dillingham. He's the offensive coordinator, but I'm the offensive coordinator again in, in Gus Malzahn. So it's just a, it kind of speaks to the continued dysfunction of that program right now. I don't think that there is anything in the immediate Auburn football future that suggests that team is looking like 
it can be better than third place in the SEC West by the end of a season. Well, and simultaneously to all this happening in the coaching carousel and the the you know the the job negotiations with Gus Malzahn, they uh, Jarrett Stidham goes pro, and Kelly Bryant picks Missouri, and they're going to rely on either true freshman Bo Nix next year quarterback, or one of their Malik Willis or Joey Gatewood or one of their no, running he, threats. He wants to throw Bo Nix out there. That's got to yeah. be that's got to be all. Gus Malzahn is banking on. I, I remember I told you when I went to the LSU game, I just, I had this sense. No one told me anything. This isn't sourced, but just everything that I saw, I felt, I was around. I had this sense that Auburn is really, really banking on next year's recruiting class. And a lot of those guys might get opportunities to see time early. And if that ends up happening, that probably includes, or the spark of it is a youth movement that Gus Malzahn thinks he might be able to create with Bo Nix that probably in his mind, he's he's trying to make the same play that Alabama did with a freshman class led by Tua. Right. Only it's a, there, there's a little bit of a – you can sprinkle a little bit of, oh, you, why fire me? Look how good our freshman quarterback was. We're on the up and up. Right. Right. Like the, Alabama was never – it was never about uh, let's let's – They never had to prove anything there. No, no, there. Yeah, that was just we're going to be better by throwing two in there, or we're going to be better by throwing Jalen Hurts in there. It, 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 you know, whereas this feels like there might be just a little dollop of desperation in there too, and 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 sort of banking our hopes on the true freshman for the future. All right. So speaking of that, uh, we've got we're, we're eight days away, right? Early signing period. Uh, yeah, yeah. As we sit here today, it's getting. It's getting close. So what's your um, – you wrote a piece for CBSSports.com, uh, a little bit of a primer, some teams with uh, with the work left to do on the trail. How do you want – or what's what's been standing – let's start with what's been standing out to you. Last year, I felt like our big storyline coming out of it was how many of the top prospects all committed uh, on this first early signing period. It was the first one ever. Only one in the books – you were, we've returned to this moment. What lessons do you think you are trying to keep on your mind as we're doing our analysis of the of what's going to go down here next Wednesday? Well, I think one thing that's going to be bad news for the uh, the folks that have Alabama fatigue is that – so <clears throat> keep in mind last year Alabama had the number five finished. When all is said and done, when everyone got enrolled – Ultimately, Alabama had the number five recruiting class in the country, uh, which was the first time in eight years they didn't finish with a number one recruiting class in the country. And part of it was a miscalculation of the early signing day. Um, they just they, they didn't play it right. Well, I, as we sort of expected they would do, they kind of came back with a vengeance this year. And... and we're sitting here a week out from the early signing period and, and a month and a half out from the the final signing period. And Alabama is, is pacing towards having the, the highest rated recruiting class of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for you to say that they were at number one. I didn't know that we were going to be breaking the calculator. Like it just goes, it goes blank. We've never had this many stars. Oh, my. <laughs> Uh, how many of these guys are already locked in and we're expecting to sign on next Wednesday? 
I mean, there, there's there, they they currently have the number one class in the country, and most of those are are locked in and and ready to sign. And that's look, that's the that's the reality of the new process is um is the you've you've got to have a uh, 62 65 plus percent of the entire recruiting population um, signs in the early signing period, and about 80 percent of the total population of recruits or I'm sorry, 80% of the, of committed prospects will sign. So with all that said, I mean, pretty much, you know, the, the classes that are shaping up right now are kind of what the classes are going to be. Uh, and so it's, uh, it, yeah. So Alabama is, is they're, they're, they're ready to roll. They're, they're they, they came back firing on all cylinders, uh, this second time around. In your uh, in in your piece again, uh, it's it's the teams with work left to do on CBSSports.com. Uh, the lead is with the recruiting juggernaut that is Ohio State, of course, now led by Ryan Day. Urban Meyer is he even allowed to recruit? I guess not, right? Well, he's not allowed to like go out on on the road to recruit anymore. Oh, but, but I'm in, here in the building. Hey, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay. In the same sense of like, you know, hey, an AD, I guess, could meet with a prospect and recruit him on campus. But uh, so Urban Meyer will, I would imagine, still be very competitive and very available uh, for Ryan Day uh, as needed. But again, you know, I mean, ultimately, look, if Ryan Day is gonna be the head coach. I mean, the kids are going to want to be around Ryan Day and, and and get you know get to know him. So it's it's this is this is Ryan Day's time to shine. Since I wrote that article, Ohio State's landed a commit, uh, Tommy Eichenberg, whose brother's an offensive tackle for Notre Dame, and uh, who was a one-time BC commit, uh, and so they're they've they've already kind of started to make some moves. Um, but you know, Ohio State is is it's ultimately about landing this kid named Zach Harrison, who's out of their backyard. Who they're trailing Michigan on right now? Who's six foot six, uh, two hundred fifty pounds, and runs a ten seven hundred meter dash? Uh, one of those type of freaks, uh, and uh, and and that's going to be kind of the focus here for them over the next uh, week or so. When you've got a case like Florida State or Tennessee, where you're still looking to make an offensive coordinator hire, if you're trying, like, does that when you're looking at it, is that going to handicap you when you're trying to land offensive players here in the early signing period? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that that's why it's a little I mean, all of this early signing period stuff it has really um I mean, it's it's changed the urgency for ADs, for coaches. I think if you're a place like Tennessee and and Florida State and you're telling them, "Look, our offense is going to look different next year." And they don't know what what that means, who that who that is is under. Um I mean, I think there's some it's important to get those hires done. Um and 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 have some clarity on look, hey, is an offense is, is an offensive coordinator going to bring in an offensive line coach? Is is, is the offensive line coach that's recruiting me going to be the guy? I mean, it, yeah, that, that's all very you know tied together and and connected in this thing. What about for uh, I was trying to think the other ones that stood out. You had Ohio State, you had Florida. What about what are those teams that are looking like they've got uh, a big a good opportunity ahead to to make some moves and jump up in the rankings? So I'll. I'll run through the teams I mentioned in the story. I mean, Florida was was the other one. They're not, they were when I wrote it, nineteenth in the country. Uh, I'm not sure what they are now, but they're in that range. Um, and I, I do think Florida is going to make a run. They're twentieth right now. Uh, but what's interesting about Florida is it's been a very 
it's not been as Florida focused under Dan Mullen. Um, he's still mm. he's still leaning on his he's still leaning on his you know roots and 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 some and I mean they're recruiting nationally regionally. It's not just a just to getting the best players in the state. Um, and really Miami at thirty is got some work to do too. Uh, they're 29th now, uh, and and I think those two teams are going head to head on some in-state guys. Where, you know, we'll kind of figure out who wins those battles to see who 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 avoids a disappointing recruiting cycle. Uh, um, USC, I think they've done a really good job hiring. We haven't really talked about the Cliff Kingsbury hire that much for them, because but it, that's the news broke, and that, then we had to wait like nine days before it was official. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one's going to be huge for them to just cement what was going to be a really good offensive class. And I think that Kingsbury getting on board there seals the deal with them closing strong. Uh, what do you think that, is more likely, one, USC coach Cliff Kingsbury or NFL coach Cliff Kingsbury? That's a good question. It, it feels like NFL coach Cliff Kingsbury. I was going to say he has two good years and then he's an NFL head coach. All these NFL GMs that are going gaga over Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury can definitely be an NFL head coach. Yeah, would they just skip the – I mean, he goes straight from college OC to NFL head coach? So 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he he <clears> just gets to point to Mahomes. And Baker and Davis Webb. and Yeah, uh, right, right, right. I mean, and then he's going to be able to point to JT Daniels too. Right. I mean, he'll, I, I really think he's going to do a really good job with JT. Uh, and so that, that couldn't have been better for, for all of us football fans that want to watch a good quarterback be developed. I really think that uh, that um, Cliff Kingsbury is going to get that done. Yeah, we need, we, we, I'm glad that we got a chance to mention that because, boy, JT Daniels' future was looking tenuous there for a minute. Yeah, and it, that was one, part of the reason why I was—I I really kind of wasn't that psyched to see a USC coaching change because then who knows, you know, how he fits into the new offense and all right, he's got to learn a new system. Like I, what two things that are clear about Cliff Kingsbury: if a guy can throw, he can make him successful. A and B, they can adopt the system really quickly. So how many times we've seen a true freshman or a backup true freshman or a backup quarterback throw for 400 yards for Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury? Like JT Daniels is going to be able to uh, adapt to this offense really quickly and 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 I think seamlessly and I think that's going to be really good news for those of us that want to see him be successful. Totally agree. Um, Do we miss anything? Anything else that uh, that's standing out to you as we as we sit here? We've got uh, bowl locks, our first edition. So of course, make sure as always that you're subscribed so you'll be able to uh, to get it when it comes out. But we'll be back at our normal. I believe Barton, we hadn't talked about this, but just normal Thursday locks time. We get a little bit of a different show, but first edition yeah, we'll have, of bowl we'll have, locks. We'll have Thursday locks for you. Um, before we go, a couple quick notes. Uh, guess where Louisville is ranked in recruiting right now? Out of 120, is it 129 FBS teams in the CBS? Nah, I mean, nah, in the 24 7 sports? Nah, let's not limit it to FBS. <laughs> <laughs> They're 134th in the country. They they are ranked behind UC Davis, behind Tennessee Martin, behind Illinois State, behind James Madison, behind the Yale Bulldogs. Um, so they've 
Scott Satterfield has a lot of work to do. And Kansas is ranked 144th right now. So so does so does Les Miles and all the folks that think Les Miles is just going to be some recruiting heavyweight in Kansas. <laughs> um, but also, one more thing before we go. Uh, another OC move. Ole Miss offensive coordinator. Phil Longo. Phil Longo is the guy at North Carolina. And we know that we know both the coordinators. Jay Bateman from Army mm-hmm. hired at North Carolina as well. Good hire. As a defensive coordinator. So, um, you know, I think those are those are good hires. Um, <clears throat> I would imagine Ole Miss is going to turn to Dan Werner, their former OC, and somebody that's done a really good job at South Carolina. He's a quarterback coach over there and, and kind of helps with that system. And, uh, and you know, it's going to be, I think, if, if Mac lands on those two and Matt Luke lands on – uh, now he's got, you know, if he lands on Dan Warner with Mike McIntyre, who's his defensive coordinator hire at Ole Miss, former Colorado head coach, uh, I'd say that's a pretty good, pretty good pull. I think it was for, interesting. Uh, Luke at Ole Miss too. I, was, I thought it was interesting because when Mac Brown was at North Carolina, he had some some limitations in terms of the quarterback play and in what those offenses could be. A little bit more pro style. Um, you know, even he even had an option quarterback with a guy named Jason Stanisek one year back in 1994, who was pretty good. And I, I just think that you know at Texas he started to open things up a little bit with Vince Young, and it probably hit its peak with Colt McCoy. And I think that when you hire Phil Longo, and as a, a as the Carolina fans around my way were you know trying to imagine what North Carolina's offense under Mac Brown might look like, I think that you should be encouraged that the hire of Phil Longo probably says we're going to be a little bit more in that Colt McCoy, Texas range stylistically instead of in that Chris Keldorf, Oscar Davenport, Jason Stanisek, mid-90s pro-style range. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I don't anticipate that Mac Brown is going to meddle too much in that offense. I would imagine this is, look, Phil Longo, this is your show, boy. Uh, go, go get it done. And, oh, that's um, right. We saw him on the coach's mega cast when they were going around the table on third, big third downs. Hey, coach, what's your call? I don't know. Look at Greg Davis and tell him to call the play that works. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Mac, Brown's, Mac Brown's coaching point on the coaching program at ESPN was, <laughs> I asked my coordinator, I say, hey, make a call. Go, go get it done. <laughs> Thanks, coach. That's why we got to you. <laughs> yes. You're right. He is not going to meddle. I, I do not think he will be meddling. Oh, yeah. There was a time when Mac Brown, I'm sure, had a lot of opinions about X's and O's and scheme. I think those those days behind us. <laughs> I think this is Phil Longo's show. Oh, man. I'm really excited to watch this unfold. I'll just say this on a personal note. This is going to be just our, our entertainment level just went through the roof in Chapel Hill. No, no doubt, no doubt. And now they got a hey, signing day storyline there. Uh, Florida State offensive coordinator Walt Bell gets the head coaching job at UMass. Walt Bell, offensive coordinator, was the guy that recruited Sam Howell, one of the top quarterbacks in the country, committed to Florida State. That was the primary, if not only, significant relationship he had at Florida State. Now North Carolina, where Sam Howell is from is chasing mm. and we'll see if they can flip 
the great Sam Howell from Florida State now that Walt Bell's out of the picture. Interesting. Storyline to watch yep. there for Tar Heel fans. Storyline to watch. All right. Uh, we will be back with our, our bowl lock, so make sure that you subscribe. As always, review, rate us. We really appreciate five stars for the five-star comments. Leave us a comment, and uh, we'll address it at some point on the show. Who knows? Um, by the way, shout out to, what's the, let's see, I believe it's external tangent. Uh, I'm basically getting uh, freezing cold eggnog in coffee, number one fan, at external tangent on Twitter. Uh, he has clipped me from before the season describing how I did not think Kyler Murray was a fighter pilot and how I called him a bus driver. So I'm getting freezing cold what? taked on that one. Oh, really? Are you getting freezing cold taked? No, not actually by freezing cold taked. I'm describing was the that action. The, was, that the, was that the one where I, I feel like he may have just been calling us, calling me out for uh, comparing Kyler Murray to a bus driver that the kids have a crush on? <laughs> is, that the, is that that clip i guess yeah i mean i just i remember the conversation and i do remember that i was i was skeptical about kyler murray i think that i even dared to say that it did not matter if kyler murray who by the way our 2018 heisman trophy winner that i dared to at say that oklahoma would be just as successful if he didn't play no no, no. okay well listen let's let's go let's let's go down this kyler murray rabbit hole for a minute i know we're trying to get out of the show but i Look, I will. I, we didn't know what Kyler Murray was. Sure. I think there, we, there was a healthy level of we don't know, and we have some suspicions. I have takes out there where I, I don't know if I, if I made this take or whether it was like a, a ponder aloud that uh, the question of would Oklahoma be better off with Austin Kendall starting at quarterback. Because at least we know for sure Austin Kendall will play within the structure of the offense, whereas Kyler Murray, every time we've seen him, has really just been a scrambler. And that that certainly wasn't the best of takes. No, those takes are uh, on our podcast, and they also include us being like, I mean, Kyler Murray didn't even look like the best Oklahoma quarterback in the spring game. Right, right. So let's just let's just admit that we were working with limited knowledge on what Kyler Murray was and with limited mileage on what Kyler Murray uh, would be when he stopped focusing on baseball for a, a semester. I think you can and, judge and me by – yeah, you can judge me by my record. I'm going to be about 500, and that was an L. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be about what? 53% with these, and that one was that one was one of the 47. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, I, I the, yeah, we we were not yeah we were not out there waving the Kyler. We were we were on the front line of the Kyler Murray flags, but, but uh, I think we we recognized it was special quickly. So hey, we changed. Yeah, I mean that's right. That that was an August podcast, and it did not take us two weeks or even one game before we changed our tune. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's what you want. You yeah. got to make halftime adjustments. Got to make halftime adjustments. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve.